Welcome to the Amy Podcast, produced by the Association for the Advancement of Medical Instrumentation, in partnership with the studios of Healthcare Tech Talk. Hello and welcome to the Amy Podcast. I'm Terry Baker. No matter how you slice it, medical imaging technology is some of the most amazing technology in the world. I know I was very impressed 12 years ago when properly introduced to it. And in the subsequent years, it has only become more amazing to me. With higher resolution, 3D and 4D technology, as well as being interconnected with computer systems that allow images to be transported and read around the world. To implement and support this amazing technology requires highly skilled and talented imaging service engineers. To talk to us today about the role of the imaging service engineer and take a look at where imaging service is in 2016, we have a great guest. We are joined by Glenn McQueen, Director of Operations for Modern Biomedical and Imaging, Inc. Welcome to the show, Glenn. Thank you, Terry, and uh, thanks for the invitation to talk with you. So, Glenn, can you describe for us your current professional responsibilities? Well, currently, I'm the Director of Operations for uh, Modern Biomedical, which is a nationwide biomedical and imaging services company. And in my role, I oversee all of the programs nationwide, and that would include supervising a majority of the staff and uh, providing strategic direction. And as it pertains currently, I'm looking at strategic direction for growth for our customer base and then moving forward in keeping in compliance with these ever-changing regulatory agencies, as it, as it were. Sure, sure. So what attracted you to imaging? What makes it an exciting and rewarding field for you? It's kind of interesting how I came about because I think initially imaging came to me as an evolution of my military career. After you were a biomed for a certain number of years, they offered the advanced radiology or x-ray, what they called x-ray repair course. And I went back to that as an evolution of my professional military career. But then when I got out of the service, I realized that that was a marketable trade. And I went to work for a manufacturer, which back in the 80s really was essentially the only avenue there was. And as time went on, I was attracted to in-house programs. And I think the reason imaging always was important to me is that it seemed to be something that was intuitive in the way I approached repairs. I had an ionizing radiation source, I had a definite image, and if I knew what was in between that, I could judge the quality of that system's performance. And I think that just made it easier for me to proceed up through X-ray, CT, MR, and essentially all of the modalities. Okay. What branch were you in? I was in the Air Force. Navy guy on this side of the microphone. Oh, cool. So, you know, you refer back to the 80s, so you've been doing this for a while. What would you say is the most significant advancement in imaging that you've seen in your professional career? I think there has essentially been two advents of technology that have really given the world of imaging a whole different look and feel, and I don't think I could pick one over the other. For ionizing radiation, I was around or getting into imaging when computerized axial tomography or CT scanning had come around. And that was the first time that imaging really could look at adjacent structures inside the body with some grayscale 
and then inside the organ, the organs and structures themselves. And that, at the time, we thought was just mind-boggling. Now that we've added color, 3D, and all these other issues to it, clearly it was the groundswell of things to come that we couldn't even see at the time. And then the second issue, which I think is second, really not second to CT, but the second thing that came along when I was in, when I came into the field was magnetic resonance imaging. It gave us a way to look at the same images without ionizing radiation. It gave us the ability to not only look once, but to look multiple times without having to notice or be aware of radiation dose. And I think those two things, when you look at them together, as anyone in the marketplace would know, that's essentially the body of imaging as it's presented to us today. What do these kind of advancements mean for patients? I think what I've seen in the field is that before these were around, what we really used imaging for was to look at structure. The structure of an organ, they would shoot straight through and they could tell you if the lung was clear or if there was any foreign objects. And then when CT and MR, as they've become developed, imaging has taken on the next progression, which is the function of those organs and structures. We could never do that before, before we could look at the axial 3D, look at several different ways of viewing that organ. And so for the patient, when they're going in for a CT or an MR, or even for some ultrasound now with 3D and 4D, mm-hmm. is you, you see the organ and you're not only looking at it as, is this viably physically, but is it performing or is it functioning the way it is? And for a patient who has come to you that clearly has a problem at the outset, it's provided solutions at a much quicker pace than we would prior to this. So from an imaging service perspective, has it become more complicated to maintain and service this gear? Is there a need to be learning all the time? They used to say when I came into this field that if you had not worked on your professional skills in five to ten years, you would become obsolete. We now believe that's probably closer to two to four or two to five years. There's always a need to be going back now because the technology is is advancing so rapidly. And with the integration of computers and software, I would say that the complication factor is multifold. Just as we went from a CT scanner that was single slice, and now we're looking at 64 slice, 128 slice. There at one point was a scanner made with 320 slices per revolution. Just managing that volume of data is overwhelming. And when it doesn't work right, being able to dissect the symptom and actually find an isolated cause and then effect a repair and then ensuring that the repair did in fact solve the issue makes for obvious need to constantly be honing those skills. I bet. Now, you've written about and experienced professionally the challenge of transitioning to digital breast imaging technology. What's the single biggest piece of advice you would give to any healthcare facility considering an investment in a digital imaging system? 
I think this is where we go back to why we do what we do, Terry, uh -huh. is that we're in this for the patient. Sure. And I understand it's a business, and I understand that there are teaching hospitals, and I understand all of those reasons that we practice medicine as each of us practice according to our own mission and vision and value statements. But ultimately, it's for the patient. And so as we're looking at the digital imaging, digital environment, I would say not just a digital imaging system, but if you purchase an imaging system, is the environment around it supportive of the patient care model? And by that, I would say that for many times, I have actually seen organizations buy digital systems, and then when the patient comes in a week later to get the films that were produced, when they acquired the digital imaging technology, they never provided a mechanism for the patient to walk away with the images that they own. Mm -hmm. And so as you look at digital imaging, it's a process and it's a system, and we should be following it from the patient's order all the way through and beyond the cure and the follow-up of the disease process so that we can ensure that technology and those images follow the patient in some methodical pattern and not just paying a, a number of money and being able to put on the sign out front that you're all digital. Well, that's a great point. So in general, with technology evolving so fast, how does a healthcare facility go about making smart purchasing decisions when it comes to imaging equipment? What's the balance between staying on top of relevant technology versus being distracted by the new and shiny? I think that's the $64,000 question, <laughs> 64, question sure. for us right now. Because the competitive edges right now, it, you can go through any town or any major city and read billboards where people are, attract, are trying to attract the patient population by virtue of some science or some technology that's offered by a specific either healthcare system or a specific, even a small imaging center may be trying to pull. And I think that there's probably something necessary there. They have to maintain the business model. I mean, they do have to stay in business to provide to the patient. But we're trying to figure out a balance there. And then with the, I mean, no one can deny that the Affordable Care Act has had some dynamic shift in the way they're addressing those technologies. And so I think the way to really not get too distracted is, is I'm going to go back to what I honestly believe in is the mission, the vision, and the value of the patient or the healthcare delivery system is that are these technologies going to contribute to that or are they going to add to it in a meaningful way that stays pure to, to what we're there for and drive either a bottom line or maintain a bottom line that will improve patient outcomes. And I think if you stay true to who you are, Certain technologies will find themselves irrelevant maybe today, mm -hmm. and it may be a future plan. Some of them may always be irrelevant, and some of them you may find out that maybe we should have paid attention to them a little sooner, and maybe those rise to the top of the list. And it will shift the new and shiny a little further back, even while some people are, are just trying to catch up. Sure. I think we've all gotten used to, you know, our cell phones that we trade in every two years, our PCs that get upgraded every three years, uh, our new television every four years or something like that. And this technology is coming fast, whether it's in the consumer side or in, in the compute and corporate side. But 
The kind of equipment you're talking about costs hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, and often you've probably got gear you're supporting today that's easily 10 years old, right? It's true. Uh, When CT was first delivered, we thought it would last, one generation of CT would last somewhere between 8 and 12 years. Now, we're also talking about a machine that when you actually did one slice of a patient's anatomy, you would wait about 30 to 45 seconds for that image to come up. Now we're looking at what we call multi-slice technology, where the entire body is scanned in a matter of maybe 20 seconds, 24 seconds, and every image is available in less than a minute. However, what we're finding is you can still find that data, but as long as that data is useful, even though the next generation is out and available, does the old one still fit the mission and vision clinically and the pathology still be relevant to what you're trying to provide for the patient downstream? And while 8 or 12 years is probably not realistic, they say a CT now is probably good for about 5 years as long as... (laughs) As long as the needs of the patients haven't changed and the needs of the marketplace haven't changed. But I see institutions changing CT scanners in in the two- and three-year mark because their entire clinical practice is shifting that quickly. So it isn't a matter that the scanner won't last that long. It's that the technology is providing new and different ways to take care of patients, and the technology has to stay caught up with the profession. Yeah, that definitely gets you in that tough, rock-and-a-hard place between the Affordable Care Act and other cost controls and getting value out of such an expensive purchase. Absolutely. So have you dealt much with 3D imaging? How do you see that evolving? Well, when we say 3D imaging, it really is kind of a loaded term because 3D imaging for MRI and CT has been around probably for more than a decade in in some term that it is on the fly, easy to use, and really, really accessible. And now we've added 3D and 4D, and uh, 4D is nothing more than 3D, a 3D image that's moving, okay. uh, where 3D is just a 3D image that's sitting still. So, so we don't want to make it more complicated <laughs> than it is. Okay. And then an MRI, of course, has always been that way. And now we've added 3D technology to breast imaging. And I bring breast imaging up because it's kind of a, an issue that's near and dear to my heart as you said earlier because I've written about it because I think it's important and it's it's an area that's probably been not really been addressed fully until probably in the last five to eight years. And you start adding 3D in there and you really have to silo it because it's been so prevalent in CT and MR for so long and it's made a pretty good case for itself in ultrasound. But in breast imaging now, we're being able to look at soft tissue with ionizing radiation for women's health issues. And so as you start seeing, it's starting to have an application in areas where people never even thought about it 10 and 15 years ago. And so to answer your question, I see it evolving in all of the modalities. It is now... There are now 3D modeling inside a cath lab if you choose to purchase that option with your cath lab or with your vascular lab. And so I see it becoming the prevalent way to look at adjacent issue, adjacent organs and structures beside each other. If we did it in CT, we did it in MR, everyone is saying, why can't we do it everywhere? And that is, in fact, coming to be the reality. Okay. 
Speaking of other innovations, you know, the big hot topic I see out there a lot is cloud technologies. Do you believe that'll become more common? Have you worked with that and leveraged that in the world of imaging? I, I like the term cloud because all that really means to me is someone else is holding the information. Sure. Yep. I mean, we like to call it cloud because it's a very marketable term. But we also know, and we've seen in the news recently, where we've had entire health systems held ransom by viruses and Trojan Ware, where third parties are requesting ransom to release their information system. And so the reality is, is that that has to be taken into consideration when you're giving up control over your imaging, when you're giving up control over your storage and your, and your image volumes. The reality is people have been doing it for a long time. I mean, I was working with an organization 10 years ago out in Arizona that stored their images in Chicago. So this is not new. There are small organizations who could never afford their own archive space, and this has always been their solution. Mm -hmm. What's happening is that those remote storage places are becoming so large and so readily accessible with the speed of the Internet that I believe once they've provided a sure solution that is absolutely secure and healthcare systems will believe that and it's proven that it's actually true, then I think why not? Because otherwise you're constantly, the cost of, of continually adding to your archive space is expensive. Mm-hmm. And there's no question about that. So I would think that uh, telemedicine is really impacting imaging, certainly in terms of the interaction between the patient and the caregiver. How's telemedicine changing the work of those professionals who service imaging devices and technology? I think, well, I know because I, my experience has been head on is I've having hooked up a telemedicine system at a prior healthcare system that I worked for. We learned a lot in the process. Some of that we wished we had learned, some of the things we wished we had learned with foresight, but we learned them in hindsight, (laughs) is that we were able to send the patient to an imaging center and get that data. At that point, the patient has a problem, the test is run, and it's data. So you have them do the lab test, and the data is is gathered. You have them have an x-ray or a CT, and the data is gathered. And then that patient is remote from the people reading those images, or even in the primary physician is remote. And then they return to a remote clinic, which may have a licensed nurse practitioner or a physician's assistant, and they come back to get the results of their answer. What we're finding is that we originally had them return to a clinic where the physician may or may not be on staff, and they would help set up the telemedicine for the face-to-face discussion to find those results and figure out next steps or to figure out what the prescription, the drug, or whatever they needed to do to resolve the issue. And, and there was a missing piece, and what we found is that even though we could remove some of the hands-on specialists, the radiologist, the pathologist, or whoever's reading those tests, we can, I won't say we remove them, we centralize them. So economy of scale starts to really take, uh, telemedicine provides the advantage of that. But what we would learn was that when they finally signed off of the telemedicine, the patient could not pick up on the nuances of the care provider through the TV and vice versa. 
is they could read the patient's eyes and they could see certain things, but they couldn't see body language as well. And so what we found is that there's a, there's a balance there between being 100 miles away and not having any care provider or having some lower level care provider uh, initiate that interaction or still having some physician in the room to read the body language and answer the follow-up questions. So I know that's a long answer to a short question, but the reality is, and I'm going to go back to it again, is that we really didn't read the patient's needs well into the original model and we had to modify who was on the end, each end of that transaction to make sure that the patient care wasn't being compromised. It's definitely a new field for a lot of us, and, and there's going to be a couple bumps and bruises, I imagine, along the way. So a very interesting point. So has this increasingly interconnected world impacted the imaging service engineer in other ways? Well, I th- remote access diagnostics, remote access viewing, remote capabilities have been around for a long time. They've just been slow. Mm -hmm. Now, all of the major manufacturers offer remote diagnostics. So if they can fix it and it's a soft fix, they can fix it remotely and save uptime. Obviously, uptime is revenue. And if they can't, then they dispatch someone. Now, we're finding that because, I mean, at the time, that was really this new and shiny thing on the service side But people are figuring out how to do that that are not the original equipment manufacturers. So I think what we're going to see now in terms of service is we're going to see other people creating those same abilities. And so it isn't so locked into an original manufacturer's type situation. You're going to see other companies offering it, and it's just as effective. And the long-term effect as long as it helps the patient and decreases downtime. Mm -hmm. But the long term is the more people can do it, just like buying a car, the more people that can do it, the more it keeps the price down. It makes it more competitive. And in this healthcare marketplace right now, which we know is, is being impacted by governmental restrictions, the Affordable Care Act, Medicare cutbacks and things like that, anything that helps with cost it can only be good for the customer as long as the continuum of care isn't impacted. You know, earlier you mentioned how with the moving to digital imaging technologies that the organization missed providing a way for the patient to take their imaging with them. You know, there were no more making films and things of that nature. Has that meant that uh, you're working now with more and more patient portal? Are you working to then get those images into more of a patient portal environment? Or have you uh, begun working with that yet? I have, and it's not only as a professional, but I've also as a patient, I've noticed that my caregivers are now all using portals. I think it is the, really, I think there's been a process where the patient has tried to empower themselves that... I appreciate you telling me what the result is, but I really want the lab results themselves. I want to be able to read them. I want to be able to touch them. And so I don't see that ending, and I think that's only going to increase. It also gives the patient the ability to take prior lab results to the next level of care. Or if they didn't like their experience and they want to change physicians altogether, they don't have to repeat the test they can pull the test results and go to another care provider. And so I don't see any other way 
then to make, you know, when they say meaningful use, that's another fun term with the Affordable Care Act. If the meaningful use isn't meaningful for the patient, I'm not sure how it's meaningful for anybody. Sure. And I agree. I, um, you know, have taken those labs at that moment in the doctor's office where they're giving you the, uh, the labs and your results. Again, as you said, sort of in the telemedicine example, it can be an overwhelming moment for a person to really grasp everything that they're being shown in, in terms of results and be able to have that with you, available to you, then to be able to you know take a look at those in your own time and maybe do a little more research about what those mean to you. It's definitely empowering. Well, Glenn, I really appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Amy Podcast. Is there any final thoughts you'd like to share with our audience about the world of imaging and uh, the career field and and where it is and where it might be going? Well, I think that what's important that people are starting to figure out, we're in the digital advent and we want to call it imaging and we're going to have to probably find a different way to discuss it because imaging used to always mean x-rays. And now with everything being imaged, whether it's a cornea with a 35 millimeter camera or whether it's a picture of a lesion that's being shot across telemedicine so that a physician can look at it across there or an otoscope that's digital now that shoots the picture of the inner ear to the, to the general physician from the remote clinic to the main clinic is that we have to find a different way to talk, but it's all starting to be archived in the same form and fashion. And I think it's really important that it's going to get confusing before it gets better because we must learn to have a discussion about the total imaging arena, which is now more than ionizing radiation and MRI and ultrasound. It's all going to be imaged it already is being imaged. The question is, are they printing the image and putting it in the file, or are they sending it to a a neutral archive that holds an x-ray image right next to a cornea image, and that it's by virtue of how the patient is registered that you can pull those back in a meaningful way. And so I think that's probably the next challenge we're looking at. Well, very interesting, Glenn. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to join us today. And I appreciate it very much. I've enjoyed this very much. And as always, we'd like to thank you, our audience, for joining us for this episode. We hope you found this to be an enjoyable and informative discussion about the world of imaging in 2016. For this episode of the Amy Podcast, I'm Terry Baker.